Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I enjoy just seeing everyone's comments on the side. And I particularly like Abs' one, I'm thankful for hot cross buns. Now, um, I walked into Aldi a few, a few weeks, or probably a month ago or so now, and I had the most ridiculous selection of uh, kind of hot cross buns and different flavours I've ever seen. So I kind of made it my personal mission to, um, to sample and try every kind of different flavour they're offering and like work out which is the best one before, um, before Easter. So I think at the moment I could recommend a rhubarb and custard's quite nice and there's, there's a white chocolate and raspberry one that's, that's pretty good. Um, sticky toffee pudding's not so good, but um, yeah, they've got a good, good selection of hot cross buns there. Um, so anyway, uh, good morning and I hope you are all doing well this morning. Um, the last week or so, we have just been going through just the latter part of John's Gospel, looking at um, Jesus' last bit of time um, on, on earth before his, his death and resurrection. Um, so if you want to open your Bibles to John 18, uh, verses 1 to 11, and if this works... There you go. It might even be on your screen for you now. And um, Jess, uh, would, you, would you mind reading out that passage for us? Of course, yes. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden and he and his, his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, uh, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you were looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that father has given me okay thank you jess um now i wonder how you you picture this scene uh, unfolding as as you as you listen to it as you hear it maybe it's a story you've heard um times before um but i wonder what kind of picture we're starting to build um in our head so today we're going to look at three things from this passage we're going to look at the claim jesus makes uh, we're going to look at our problem that we see in it, and we're going to see uh, what, what, what is the hope, what is the, the solution. Now, um, after the crowd of soldiers, chief priests, and Pharisees led by Judas, 
come towards Jesus, uh, verse four says, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Now, this response in the original Aramaic reads more like I am. Um, and these two words are probably at the crux of what John is trying to convey as he writes his gospel. It's uh, in John we find the great I am statement. Uh, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life and so on. And this response that Jesus gives here, I am, is at the heart of what John wants us to understand about Jesus. Um, John's gospel starts with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. A little further on in that chapter, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, generally, when we use the verb to be, um, it's, it's dependent on something else. There's an objective, an object, an adjective. I am a doctor. I am happy. Um, but in those two words that Jesus says, um, Jesus is saying, I am. He's saying, my being, my existence is not dependent on anyone else. I am the uncreated one. I have no beginning no end. When, when Moses encounters God at the burning bush, Moses asks, who shall I say has sent me? And Exodus 3.14 says, um, God says to, to Moses, I am who I am. This is, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. With a large band um, of, of soldiers and everyone else approaching, Jesus takes this divine name upon himself. Um, other other religions or other religious founders say this is the way do this be like that Jesus says I am the way Jesus is the great I am and we are at a time where as as a nation in most people's living memory we have never been in less control there has never been such social and economic upheaval uh, this is a time of a lot of drastic change um, a lot of people, including ourselves, will be thinking, where, where do I look right now? What can I hold on to? But this passage shows us that in such a weak moment, Jesus was in total control. But more than that, he is Lord. He is God, uncreated, unchangeable. In our world of change, we are reminded here we look to Jesus. There is no one else. We look to him. Um, so Jesus is Lord. Um, and as we continue reading the passage, it gets even more extraordinary uh, in verse six. And also here presents us with our problem. So verse four reads, um, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. This is, um, yeah, this is a pretty crazy response. 
Um, when I normally think of this scene in my head, I picture it a little um, like this. And I'm gonna see if this can work. I really, I'm not sure whether it will, but uh, hey, hey. So I picture a bit like a coloring book. Oh, that's the, okay. There you go, you can kind of see, you can kind of see that. Um, I picture a bit like this, this colouring book uh, scene that's going on here. Um, I, I picture, um, I can picture Jesus, the disciples, Judas, a couple of religious leaders and a few soldiers. Um, but earlier on in the passage, okay, um, in verse three, it says, um, so Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. Now, apparently a detachment of soldiers was about a tenth of a legion. And looking into it, I've seen anywhere between 200 and 500 given as the number of soldiers that were there to arrest Jesus. Um, a lot more than I had in my head um, previously. Um, the Romans and the chief priests were aware that Jesus was attracting big crowds, and that was one of their big problems with Jesus. Um, so they needed to make sure they had the force to overpower any sort of crowd they might find around Jesus. But I guess the main point here um, is that in this scene, Jesus and his disciples are confronted with hundreds of professional, well-trained, fearless Roman soldiers. And this makes what happens next pretty extraordinary. Uh, when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, this isn't a, a miracle as such. You can imagine the subtitle, uh, subheading in your Bible, Jesus trips up the 500. Um, no, I don't think it's quite like that. Um, this is the involuntary response to being in the presence of God. And nobody can stay on their feet in the presence of God. Um, in Luke chapter 5, it is Peter who falls at Jesus' feet for the first time he meets Jesus. Um, after his boat starts to sink from the amount of fish they caught. Um, being in the presence of God, the terrifying mystery of God's holiness is, as we read throughout the Bible, a pretty traumatic experience. But here, here lies our problem. We want to be on our feet. We want to stand. Um, and we can have different measures of what it looks like for us to stand. Um, we stand if we do right by others or if we're just right full stop. If our relationships are going well, um, we've got a good job, we're achieving, we're earning well. These are, these are our standards we put on ourselves or what it looks like for us to, to stand. Um, and we don't meet them, do we? Um, we desperately want to stand, but we can't. We, we are wrong. We mistreat others. Uh, work is hard. Relationships are hard. We go out for our second walk of the day, even though we know Boris said one. Um, if we hold on to our 
own standards, we can never stand. Well, the good news, God's standards are way higher than any we put on ourselves. Good news? Um, Ephesians 6, verse 11, says, Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. In, in a battle, to stand at the end is to be victorious. If you're not stood, you're, you're dead, you're done. Um, these Roman soldiers were not used to being on the ground. They were used to standing tall. But no one, no matter how mighty, can stand by their own credit before Jesus. We can't stand before the great I am. Here lies our problem. Um, but if, if this is the problem, what's the solution? Where is our hope? Let's, uh, let's look at Peter now. Uh, we give him a bit of a bad rep at times. And I think this can be the classic, oh, look at Peter doing something daft kind of story. Um, but he's looking at this situation and he's thinking, oh, this is how I'm going to stand. And, and yes, he does miss the point totally and gets it completely wrong. But let's have a think about him for a moment. Um, Peter does actually show some faith through his actions, certainly more than the other disciples in this situation. Uh, the other disciples are thinking, hundreds of Roman soldiers, we're done. Peter is thinking, whoa, Jesus has just flattened the soldiers. He has power over them. And that's, that's true, right? But he's thinking, Jesus can overpower these Romans. This is it. Overthrow the Romans, Jesus in control in Jerusalem, God's people free. Um, so as he cuts Mouse's ear off, he's thinking, looking around, thinking, okay, Jesus, uh, are you going to do the rest? Disciples, guys? Um, he does have faith, but it is totally misplaced, as we see from Jesus' response. But Jesus' response to Peter is the hope and the solution for him, and it's the hope and the solution for us. Peter has been, what, three years in, you know, Jesus' graduate training, but in, in this moment, he still totally doesn't get it. And I wonder, if, if we couldn't see Jesus' response in verse 11, how might we think Jesus would respond? Perhaps Jesus turns and looks incredulously, that Peter, I have tried to explain this to you so many times. What is the point? Do you know what? I've, I've changed my mind. He's been an absolute nightmare for three years. Take him instead. Um, but no, thankfully, this is not how Jesus responds to Peter. And it's not how Jesus responds to us either. Verse 11 does read, um, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So wh what exactly is Jesus saying here? Firstly, put your sword away. Um, this is not a battle you can win. Now, the phrase, you're not going to win, is not one that normally fills us with great faith or confidence, um, except in the context of what Jesus says next. Um, put your sword away 
shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? When we read the, uh, the, two, the two halves of this sentence together, put your sword away is no longer a statement of defeat. It is an affirmation that it is Jesus that makes us stand. We, we are helpless to achieve our own standing before God, but Christ accomplishes that for us. And for us, whatever life looks like right now, whatever we're fighting for, whatever our struggles might look like, um, the commands Jesus gives Peter to put his sword away is one that can give us such peace. Jesus is the one in control. He never changes. His love never falters. He fights for us. And as Jesus says, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? The disciples and religious leaders would have known exactly what he was referring to. The cup was a picture used throughout the, um, throughout the Old Testament of God's wrath and judgment to be poured out on the unrighteous. Jesus says to Peter, the judgment for your sin is not something you can fight or atone for. That judgment will be poured out on me. This must happen so that you can be free from the judgment of sin, so that you can stand before a holy and perfect God as holy and perfect. So what is our hope? When Peter is far from God, when he wants to use Jesus' power for his own personal political means, Jesus reminds Peter of the gospel. Only I can do what needs to be done. I'm going to take your sin, your judgment upon myself. No, no amount of not following the gospel will stop Jesus from loving us. Like Peter, we need to be reminded that we cannot stand through our own efforts. We need to be reminded of the gospel. Jesus' surrender on the cross means that if we have confessed our sin, we will stand on judgment day. Now, Hannah was playing uh, this song yesterday, um, There is a Redeemer, and in it there's a verse that goes, um, when I stand in glory, I will see his face. And there I'll serve my king forever in that holy place. And just what, what a beautiful picture of how, how Jesus' sacrifice means that we stand with the Father in eternity. But as, as we finish, um, what, about, what about the now? What about the, the messy, difficult, painful middle bit? where we find ourselves now. Well, if we, if we see and believe that Jesus makes us stand in eternity, it helps us not to lose our footing now. When we're criticized at work, when we're, when we're wrong, when we're arguing with our, sp our spouse, housemate, family member, because we're spending a fair bit of time with them at the moment, um, when we know that it's Jesus that makes us stand, it changes how we respond. In John 6, verse 39, Jesus says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, 
but raised them up on the last day. It is Jesus that makes us stand.